The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future Sox Podcast. I'm Josh Nelson filling in for Mike Rankin this week as it's Tuesday, November 22nd, 2022. We've got White Sox prospect news to discuss. Both Brian Ramos and Jose Rodriguez were added to the 40-man roster. How close are either helping the White Sox in 2023? And speaking of Ramos and Rodriguez, both featured in Baseball Prospectus' updated Top 10 White Sox list, but there might be a glaring omission from the list. We'll chat about that later in the show. But first, White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz spoke earlier this week about the state of the White Sox pitching staff heading into the offseason. He was asked about Garrett Crochet's status and role going into 2023. I think realistically, I don't think starting's in the cards next year. Um, this is just me speaking because, you know, if he's starting and, you know, say he's, he is ready, you know, maybe a month after the season, he starts like his innings are going to be done um, with, with his rehab process. And you also have to factor in, how's he feeling? How's it going? And it, it's pretty tough to go out there and saying, you know, you know, you got two innings, you got three innings. That, that kills a bullpen. So you're looking at maybe a piggyback situation, you know, just thinking creatively. I, I don't know if that's realistic right in the beginning of the season with him coming back. I think it's just a matter about getting him on the field, see how he's feeling, kind of going from there. In the bullpen, you have a better opportunity to kind of um, manage him a little bit more, to take care of him, and he could get multiple ups. So he's still getting uh, a workload under him but it's a little bit more controlled. Whereas uh, starting, like you got to take care of the other guys on the team as well. So starting for me personally, this, this is me speaking that I think it might be a little bit tough next year. Um, we kind of just see where things kind of unfold after that. That sounds pretty definitive that crochet will be a reliever as long as he's with the white Sox. but there's a lesson to be learned here. And joining me is future Sox editor and co-host of the future Sox podcast. It's James Fox and hello, James. The ongoing debate about crochet never ends. I know. It's like for and I and you know what it's funny? I think people talk about like 
you and I being opposite on this, and I really, I really don't think we are. I just like think we like rib back and forth. like I, I don't think he can start now. I think the difference is I thought maybe originally, and you kind of never did. That was where I think he got a little bit off track. But now, like I, there's no way. Like unless they trade him to a rebuilding club and they just don't really care, then then maybe right then. You know, you get to the limit, and then he's starting in 2024 for a bad team. But not for a White Sox team that is trying to contend for something. No way. Yeah, if he can come back with from the Tommy John surgery, and he is throwing at least 97, maybe he regains that 100 miles per hour that he had, I still feel like he could be an Andrew Miller, Josh Hader type of reliever in Major League Baseball. And that's got tremendous value. And with how much closers are getting paid, James... It has tremendous value to Garrett Crochet himself as far as future earnings are concerned. But if he really wants to be a starting pitcher, it's not going to be with the Chicago White Sox. And the one thing you and I both agreed on was in 2020, we didn't know if Crochet was really the right pick for the White Sox in that slot. Obviously, Reed Detmers goes one pick before him in 2020 to the Angels. And the White Sox would love to have a Reed Detmers, part of their pitching staff and part of their plans. And maybe in hindsight, we if we could advise the White Sox and go back in time, we'll tell them to take uh, Tyler Soderstrom, uh, which they were really high on as far as the prep bat that went later on in the draft to the Oakland Athletics instead of Garrett Crochet. Because you don't use the 11th overall pick on a reliever, no matter how hard they throw. Ben Joyce did not go in the first round, James, in this past draft. And he throws harder than Garrett Kershaw. He won in the third round. We are going to be releasing our top 20 MLB 2023 draft prospect list soon as the Major League Baseball draft lottery will be going down during the winter meetings. The Kershaw situation is an important lesson here for the White Sox. All parties involved have to be on the same page when they are making these investments with first rounders. And I would argue, James, looking at the Garrett Crochet situation, the White Sox draft team, the player development team, and ultimately the front office were not on the same page here when selecting Crochet. No, and it seems like, you know, it's Mike Shirley's first draft. Um, and, and look, I think, I think that's the guy that, whatever, like his recommendation or whatever. But he's seeing him pitch like on these backfields, seeing this premium stuff that a lot of people weren't expecting. And he's like, okay, well, that's the best guy. Like, I want that guy. I think he can be a, you know, scout speak, right? I think he said mid-rotation starter that night and people freaked out. But like, I mean, if he was a number three, it'd be a great pick, right? So, um, but yeah, then, you know, I think then we've seen what happened from here. I think 2020 was fine. Like he comes out of the bullpen throughout 100. We were all texting each other like, oh my God, like none of us were expecting that in that short season. And then I think the debate starts like the next year, right? When they start using him as a single-inning reliever. I think that's where this thing got a little bit off the rails. But, I mean, with pitchers that throw that hard, maybe he was destined to get hurt regardless. When any pitcher that young is throwing that type of heat, there is always the risk that, one, they're not going to be able to sustain it, or, two, their arm's just not going to be able to sustain that type of effort needed on their arm. And with Garrett Crochet, again, I think he could be an excellent reliever, and the White Sox could definitely use cheap relievers as part of their bullpen. Now the White Sox have the teenage version of Garrett Crochet with their 2022 first-round pick in Noah Schultz. If you want Schultz to be a starting pitcher, you need to develop him as one. So it'll be interesting to me, James, to see the differences here on how Schultz is developed in future years and ponder if that same plan would have worked with Garrett Crochet. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think the difference with Schultz, obviously, like the thing that made me feel a little bit better about it was that he was so young and there was no way that they were going to like rush him out of the big league bullpen last year, right? I think that was one of my fears in the lead up, you and I talking about guys. And I think there were, you know, there were a handful of college pitchers that you would have been very happy with. But I think even those guys, like you run the risk of like them just rushing him into the bullpen in September and then all of a sudden like, oh, is he a reliever or a starter? We're doing the same thing again. So that's at least like with going with the prep guy, <laughs> like he should be a Canapolis this year and then we'll see, right? But there's, you know, the, if he's not a starter, it'll be because, you know, he flames out as a starter in the minors and then they try to salvage something later instead of them like doing it themselves for no reason kind of. And when we're looking at this upcoming draft class and college baseball is going to be starting mid-February, so it's not that far away. They've been playing fall baseball. Do you think like the White Sox, is this an area that they need to work on internally when they are having these conversations of having a plan that even if the next Garrett Crochet comes around the corner and they take him because the White Sox will most likely have a top 15 pick in 2023, and they take him, let's say, 15th overall. That's the most likely draft pick for the White Sox. No matter where the White Sox are in the 2023 season, all parties agree, if we think he's a starting pitcher, we develop them as a starting pitcher. We do not try to go with the Chris Sale plan because since Chris Sale, uh, Carson Fulmer completely didn't work out in any type of role. And Garrett Crochet, well, now your pitching coach says that they're a reliever only. So you haven't been able to duplicate the Chris Sale path since you had Chris Sale. And that was more than a decade ago. I would prefer James the White Sox if you draft guys and the agreement in the room is that they're a starting pitcher. Well, develop them as a starting pitcher and be patient with it. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, you like Mike Shirley does that job. Um, so you can let him do his job. I mean, look, I don't think they're going to take a guy that Rick Hahn or Ken Williams like right. is just totally against, right? So there's some sort of consensus. But I mean, like that mm-hmm. recommendation, like once they take it, it's kind of like this is what we're drafting. Now, if it's a position player, it's a little different, right? Because then you're just, then they're just, you know, Colson Montgomery and you just go play. I think with pitching, it's always a little bit different. So should be interesting. You know, one more thing on the Garrett Crochet thing. Like, you know, he blew out this year, right? So, like, I'm just, I'm not confident that it would have been the right plan this year. Because I think talk coming into this year was, oh, we're going to do the the Kopech thing from last year, right? Where he's going to open and go three innings, and sometimes he'll go two innings, and sometimes, he would have been, he would have been a high leverage guy last year if he was healthy, I think, right? With Tony there? Yeah, most definitely. So, so even, like, if you wanted to do it this year, where you stretch him out. He's going to pitch in June, maybe. That's, that's like, good news, right, if he's on the mound in June? These, I mean, it's usually, like, 12 to 18 months, and it's, it's going longer lately with some of the guys, like, to get back at full strength. So I just, like, he's not, he's not going to be there in February part of this thing. So I, I really, like, don't know what, you know, the plan's going to be for him. I think they got to consider him extra right now. Even with Kopech, I don't even know if the hybrid role worked. Because... <laughs> Right now, based on in the same press conference, Ethan Katz was very transparent that the rehab for Michael Kopech is going uh, not as quickly as they were hoping. And they're hoping that he, after spring training, gets to the point that he could throw 85 pitches and give the White Sox five innings per start to begin 2023. But there's no certainty in that. So the White Sox may be rolling into spring training with three and a half starting pitchers. 
and that's not going to cut it. Uh, and the White Sox are pretty shallow right now in the starting pitching depth, and everybody knows that for all parties. So it would be great if Garrett Crochet were healthy and if he were developed a starting pitcher and he didn't pitch out of the bullpen for the White Sox in 2021. Maybe there's another universe, James, where we are talking about Garrett Crochet as a starter in 2022. But the White Sox decided that even though they drafted Crochet with the idea that he's a starter, they developed him as a reliever. And that's the lesson to be learned here and something to pay attention to in Noah Schultz's development when he starts pitching for the White Sox, that even though he is a lefty that's got really funky stuff and you can look at him with the fastball slider combination and you can dream up a scenario of, hey, the White Sox need help with the bullpen. Let's get Noah Schultz up there. Don't do that. If you want him to be a starter, be patient with it. Well, and the worst part of it is like that, like as far as organizations go, they've been pretty good at like finding guys that weren't high picks. That's I mean, true. they traded Cody Hoyer. There's also like, like Matt Foster is what he is, right? He's like an up and down guy. But I mean, that's a 20th round draft pick. Like they've found a bunch of guys that are useful. Jimmy Lambert was a fifth rounder. They let him start for as long as he could. Stuff played up in the bullpen. He's going to be a big part of the team. I mean, they've, they've been good at this stuff. So wasting premium assets on relievers and spending all their free agent dollars on relievers, something that you and Jim often talk. It's just, I feel like it's an organizational strength finding those guys. So like, what are, what are we doing? It doesn't, it, that's one of the reasons why it hasn't made sense to me. It there's a, it's a disconnect. That's the best way to describe it. It is a disconnect, especially with the first rounders. And you can't have disconnects with these guys because you're paying them millions of dollars. You're spending 40 to 50% of your draft budget on this one guy, they have to pan out. They have to pan out. So that's the lesson with Garrett Crochet. And I, I still believe in Crochet's future of being a major league reliever and being a very effective and maybe one day a well-paid reliever in major league baseball. But now with Noah Schultz into the fold, I'm hoping the White Sox don't repeat what they did with Crochet. And hopefully we could stomp it out now for White Sox fans thinking, well, maybe Schultz could be the next Chris Sale. Yes, if you let him develop as a starting pitcher, don't follow the Chris Sale plan. It does not work. All right, moving on to the White Sox 40-man roster. They added two prospects to the 40-man roster. As I mentioned in the intro, Brian Ramos and Jose Rodriguez. The White Sox recently cut Adam Engel and Danny Mendick. We'll talk about the White Sox depth chart here, starting with second base, James. No Mendick. So the White Sox are currently down to Leary Garcia, Lenin Sosa, Romy Gonzalez, and Jose Rodriguez. We weren't expecting to see Lenin Sosa and Romy Gonzalez last year, but they made their appearances with the White Sox, and they did perform well in Birmingham, and they performed well in Charlotte to at least get their cup of coffee, their auditions in the major leagues. When it comes to Jose Rodriguez, how close is Rodriguez in contributing in the majors in 2023? Can he be a viable starting solution at second base for the White Sox? Yeah, I mean, I think like by midseason, like is the most optimistic though. Like, do I expect it? No, but I mean, he, you know, he went on a tear to close double A to the point where had he not broken the Hammett bone, like maybe he starts in Charlotte. Maybe he starts in Charlotte anyway. And if he goes to that place and hits eight or nine homers and he's hitting 340 or something, like he's going to be in the big leagues. Now, does he come up and kind of fall on his face a little bit in a small sample like Lenin Sosa did? Yeah, maybe. But I think he gets an opportunity. I mean, look, if you're in double A and you're playing well, you're close to the big leagues, like especially with the White Sox. Because they, you know, like we, we're not going to talk about Cespedes today, but I mean, I mentioned him as like, 
he hits lefties and plays defense. Maybe he's at a angle. Like, but he's never played it. You know, he's never played at Triple A either. So the way the White Sox are, yeah, he could he could be a solution. I think Sosa's in front of him, um, and I kind of think Romy is more of like the the Larry Garcia role. If Larry Garcia wasn't on your team, because he can play center in a pinch and he can play either outfield corner. He can probably play third. He plays second and short, you know? So I don't look, I don't like, I don't feel great about it. If Romy Gonzalez is the second baseman to start the year in a year when you're trying to like win a division. But if Lenny and Sosa hits 400 in spring training and he's your second baseman. Okay. Like I, you know, like I could, I could see that happening, but Rodriguez, I think definitely starts in the minors, but there, there's a chance we see him. I think when it comes to potential though, between Lenin Soso and Jose Rodriguez, who do you think has got more potential to have more staying power in the major leagues between those two? So I think most people would um, disagree with me, but I think it's Sosa just because like what I saw Sosa do at Birmingham this year, it's a complete like change for him. He hit 20 homers overall. Uh, it was a big time power increase and he doesn't strike out that much. Like that's the difference with, and Jose Rodriguez doesn't strike out a ton, but he doesn't really walk either. He's been super aggressive at every stop to the point where I thought it was really going to hurt him. And it looked like it was because he really struggled at double A until he finally turned it on late. So, you know, I think Jose Rodriguez might have the better chance at actually playing short. Um, so yeah, so maybe he's the better prospect, right? Um, but Sosa can play second, and Tim Anderson's at short. So, you know, as far as the White Sox go, um, I, I think I would go with Sosa, and who knows? Like, maybe maybe another team loves one of those guys, and they can be part of, like, a three- or four-player package for somebody. Because it's like, I mean, you brought it up. Like, they, you know, when you kind of questioned Jose Rodriguez even getting at it, like, they got a million middle infielders. And that was before we knew they were going to non-tender Danny Mendick, though. So it makes a little bit more sense now. But you got to... 40-man roster full of infielders, and a bunch of them probably aren't going to play for you next year. Well, they or they might, depending on how budget things go for the White Sox. Uh, it's safe to say, we, we haven't mentioned Yobert Sanchez, but he's been leaped in the depth chart, right? Like, he, he doesn't really have a clear path. And with the depth that there is right now, and he's not on the 40-man roster, I wonder if the White Sox entertain the idea of moving him in any possible trades. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, he's older too. He's like 25 or 26. Or the problem with Yolbert is he just he doesn't impact the baseball. And it's something that, you know, scouts talk about all the time. It's the Nick Madrigal thing, and he doesn't have the hit tool Nick Madrigal does. But I mean, he hits. So he's he's actually been a little bit better offensively, I think, than I anticipated, and maybe a little bit worse defensively. He was billed as this like no doubt Gold Glove type shortstop that can't hit at all, and he hit a little bit in the minors, and he even hit in Double A. Um, and he's just been okay defensively, and some scouts have said probably second more than short. So I think he'll be in the mix. He's not the type of guy that would get taken in the Rule 5. Um, he's exposed, so somebody could take him if they want him, and they got to hang on to him. Um, but, I mean, if you're the Pirates or the A's or somebody, there's just there's more upside out there for a utility guy. Like He just he doesn't, barring some sort of swing change, um, you know, or a strength gain at the age of 26, I just... Like, he could play in the big leagues. You know, he could be an up-and-down guy because he's good enough defensively and he makes a lot of contact, but he just doesn't make any hard contact, and it's just tough, like, in this day and age to not have any power at all. So Adam Engel and Danny Mendick's time with the White Sox more than likely appears to be over. Engel was taken in the 19th round from Louisville back in 2013, and Danny Mendick was taken in the 26th, 22nd round, I'm sorry, 
of the 2015 draft. Yeah, they were not quality major leaguers, but James, it is rare when position players taken this late in the draft make it to the show. As a matter of fact, Mendick's round doesn't even exist anymore as the Major League Baseball draft is just 20 rounds. The White Sox organization is in desperate need of player development wins. And in a way, Engel and Mendick were wins for the player development team for both making it as far as they have. Yeah, and I think just for, like, different reasons, too. Like, Danny Mendick was just a total, like, overachiever forever. Like, out of Lowell College in Massachusetts, he comes in as, like, a, you know, he, he was a nobody. And, like, at Future Sox, like, we covered him because that's, you know, what we kind of do. And then he just hit at every single level. And then the White Sox were bad. And it's like, oh, this guy's hitting the AAA. Okay, bring him up. And, you know, he was okay sometimes, like, in the majors, right? He went on a big, like, tear last year in the absence of Tim Anderson and, yeah, I mean, that's a guy, like, he's he's already 30, which hurts him, I think, but he could latch on somewhere else and play play a little bit more, but he's not a regular, but, like, it's a 22nd rounder, he made the big leagues. Yes, I think that's a win. Engel's a little bit different, just because of, like, the physical tools. I think people forget, like, Adam Engel was Arizona Fall League MVP one year. It was crazy, and, like, I saw him in the minor leagues, and it's like, he just, like, looks, you know, he looked like Mike Trout, like, in the minor leagues, and he's running like so fast and he's hitting balls a mile but the thing with Adam Engel was he just he would change his swing I feel like every week and then even when he came up I was one of his biggest detractors just because I followed him throughout the minors I'm like Adam Engel changed his swing again yet like it was like a thing that I would you know (laughs) but then he kind of carved out a role for himself hitting lefties and playing some center field like over you know different parts of six major league seasons five fangraphs war I mean that's you know that's not terrible so he's, you know, for a 19th round pick, I think that's pretty good. A guy that they didn't pay very much money and he came up through the system and was useful at times. Yeah, he stuck around. I, I'm shocked that he did stick around because he did not hit at all when he joined the White Sox. And it was like, okay, this guy can't hit. He's not a major leaguer. The White Sox stuck with them and Adam Engel stuck around. James, he's got a playoff home run on his resume. Uh, game one of the 2020 uh, American League wildcard round against the Oakland Athletics. He actually kicked off the, the scoring for the White Sox in that game. What's the one that I remember? Was it 2020 or 2021 when he hit the big one in Baltimore to win it? Oh, It would have to be 2021. Yeah. So there was a game in Baltimore and the Sox were like dead. And I think it was like kind of a rough patch in that season. And I just feel like, you know, they were down like 6-4 or something. And he hits a three-run homer to center to, like, win it. And you're just like, oh, okay, this is what happens when, like, your team's good, right? Because we weren't used to it. And then, you know, obviously we saw the end to that. But, yeah, it was just like one of those moments in a season where somebody, you know, like a Brian Goodwin or Adam Engel, like I feel like it happened a couple of times in that year where guys would come through that you weren't really expecting. And then his outstanding defensive series a few years ago against the New York Yankees where it got Yankees fans upset because – he was robbing so many home runs in that series. And they were questioning, who is this guy? Because uh, they've never heard of Adam Engel. And yeah, I mean, he had moments. And again, when you're drafted the 19th round or you're drafted the 22nd round, chances are incredibly low that you'll make it to the major leagues. But the fact that both Adam Engel and Danny Mendick did uh, is very impressive. And they contributed in their own ways. Uh, however, the White Sox have decided to move on from both of them, not tendering them. We'll see if Rick Hahn changes his mind and brings them both back on a minor league contract or in a contract that is at a, a lower value than what their projected arbitration values were going to be. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but coming up next, Baseball Prospectus released their updated top 10 prospect list 
for the White Sox. Welcome back to the Future Sox podcast. Baseball Prospectus just recently released their updated top 10 White Sox prospects that you can check out on BaseballProspectus.com. But we're going to be talking it through here as the number one prospect, according to Baseball Prospectus. No surprise, it's Colson Montgomery. Number two is Oscar Colas. Number three is Brian Ramos. And then it gets a little interesting. Number four is Norhe Vera. Number five is Christian Mania. Number six is Noah Schultz. Number seven is Peyton Paulette. So those are the first two picks of the 2022 Major League Baseball draft for the White Sox. Number eight is Jose Rodriguez. Number nine is Luis Miesis. And number 10 is Sean Burke. So that's the top 10 for Baseball Prospectus. James, what jumps out to you when looking at Baseball Prospectus's top 10 list? So I think the top three seems right. I mean, and look, I, I think we can quibble on three through 10. I think that's totally fair. I mean, I think Colson Montgomery and Colas are one, two. And then after that, I mean, I think a lot of these outlets and people are going to have different opinions and that's totally fine. I mean, Ben Spanier does good work at baseball prospectus. We've had him on this show before, you know, he sees all these players in person. Um, so, you know, you're going out and seeing guys in person. I'm not going to question your list too much. My only issue was, you know, Lenin Sosa. And, you know, if I talked to him, I, I would just ask him like what, just like what we're missing, right? Because they had him at 10 last year. Um, on this list, he's down to 11, one spot. And I guess I just kind of don't get it after the year he had. And look, I, look, we don't, we don't just do stat scouting here. But, I mean, he posted a 142 WRC plus with 14 homers at Birmingham. I mean, that's like a Luis Roberts season, right? And then that was interrupted with a big league stint. And then once he finally got going at Charlotte, I mean, it was a 118 WRC plus there with nine homers. So, hmm. you know, if Lenin Sosa goes and does the same thing at Charlotte to start the year, he's going to be in Chicago fairly quickly. And as we talked about earlier, like he might be in Chicago right away. And I just, you know, I think it's a little similar. He reminds me a lot of Marcus Semien. And it's just like when it comes, it comes type of thing. Like he made some changes with Andy Barquette. They seem to have take or taken so I just, you know, I just, I think I like Lenin Sosa a little bit more than others. I'd probably have him somewhere in that four to six range. So look, it is, I mean, it's quibbling in a, in, in a not great system, but that was, I guess the first thing that jumped out to me was that him not being up there like with Jose Rodriguez and some of those other guys. I'm a bit surprised on how high Norhe Vera and Christian Mania are ranked. And I'm wondering if this is more of I'm ranking them this high because of the overall stuff that both have compared to results. Now, Mania did well in 2022. Uh, however, with Vera, both of them need to demonstrate they have a third pitch. And I, I wonder, I guess, coming full circle in this conversation, when the White Sox decide to move either of them to the reliever path, because they do have two quality pitches, and with Vera, I know the age gets brought up. He is 22 years old, so he's a little bit on the older side. I, I think the White Sox could afford to be a little bit more patient, but at some point, if it's clear that the changeup is not holding or Vera can't throw two different breaking pitches at an effective rate to be a starting pitcher or his velocity drops off drastically after the third inning, I don't think there's anything wrong to pivot and start developing Norahe Vera as a reliever, and then you could fast-track him to the major leagues. But those are two prospects that I'm curious that they, they are ranked so high in baseball prospectus, being the fourth and fifth best prospects for the White Sox. And maybe it is one of those things where 
yeah, the results are not great, but I truly believe in the stuff and the stuff can be good. Yeah. So, I mean, the problem for me is like, like Norhe Vera just like has to pitch eventually, right? Like he, he just like didn't throw enough innings. So I think coming into the year, me and Mike were both very high on him, but he really didn't throw that much. So what you're saying, like, there's a lot of credence to that. Like if it's similar this year, they're going to either have to decide, look, like let his top two pitches play up because he ha- he's in the mold of a power reliever if they wanted to do it for sure. Or you trade him to somebody that still thinks that he can start and has the time to like be patient and develop him. So, yeah, I, I think that's a little bit high for me. But, look, I'd have-, I'd have all of the position players probably one through five, and then I'd probably go with whoever your highest ranked, uh, you know, highest regarded pitcher is. So maybe Schultz at like six, and then after that, who knows, right? But so like even like Christian Mena, I think is a definite starter. I just he doesn't throw that hard. He lived off getting guys out in low A and high A on breaking stuff. Like he threw he threw enough innings to where mm-hmm. he's a guy for sure. I just don't know. Like if he's a number four starter, I just think like Schultz and even Pallet and you know maybe even like Jonathan Cannon and and Sean Burke might have a little bit more upside than that. So, like, seeing him up there, um, I think it's mostly just, like, an age play um, by Ben. I think he's just, Mania's super young, so he's up there. Um, but I just think, like, a lot of these guys are similar. And, like, I, I'm curious to your opinion on this. Like, it's really hard to rank Peyton Paulette. But, like, if by the end of the season he's their best pitching prospect, like, that wouldn't surprise me at all. No, it wouldn't either. I mean, if, if Paulette was healthy... This past season, if he didn't have Tommy John surgery that cost him the 2022 season at Arkansas, Payne Paulette's going to the first round. Payne Paulette's probably going to the top 15 picks. He would have not been available to the White Sox late in the first round. Uh, but he did get hurt, and he missed the 2022 season. The White Sox benefit that they have this type of pitcher added into their farm system. I have a hard time, though. I don't know how to rank Noah Schultz and Payne Paulette in the White Sox farm system because they haven't pitched a whole lot. And we didn't get a chance to see Paulette at all in 2022. All we've got is film from 2021 season. So it's hard for me if I'm coming up with a top 10 White Sox prospect list. I don't know where to put Schultz, and I don't know where to put Payne Paulette. Now the question I have for you is with Sean Burke. Suddenly Sean Burke's importance to the White Sox grows by the day As I mentioned, the starting pitching depth is so shallow that out of the blue, and bless him for his development, Davis Martin was a contributor to the White Sox in 2022. And he might be a contributor to the White Sox in 2023, either out of the bullpen or making spot starts. How close is Sean Burke to the majors, James? Well, I mean, Ethan Katz mentioned him, didn't he? I think so. So, I mean, I think he's like maybe the next guy, like after... Davis Martin, I mean, he made a start in Charlotte. Now, the the thing about Sean Burke is, like, look, I think he's going to be, I don't know, like what, Sean Burke's a number four starter maybe if everything goes right, which is valuable. Like, the White Sox don't have a lot of those type of guys. But I think he's another guy, and this is going to sound funny, but I wouldn't be surprised if Sean Burke pitches better in Chicago in 2023 than he pitches in Charlotte. Like, it's just, like, sending these guys to Charlotte is rough, man, because it's just... Like, that place is crazy. Like, we saw what happened there last year. And honestly, like, I've heard you mention it. Like, they need to just, like, load up on these, like, 
you know, veterans that are just hanging on or even like some fringe like 4A types to like fill that rotation. But I mean, if you have a chance to pitch anywhere else, I think guys would rather pitch anywhere else than Charlotte. So that's just one other part of this thing where it's tough to, you know, you really have to be there and see what Sean Burke's stuff looks like instead of like the, you know, the the 490 ERA that he's probably going to have after giving up a bunch of homers like at, at that ballpark. So do you just keep him in Birmingham then? Is that an idea? I mean, I, they haven't done it, but I don't, I mean, I don't think it's crazy because I think especially for, and look, I think like player development people and scouts are smarter than that, right? Mm-hmm. Like if they like a guy, like they're not going to care that his ERA is five at home, like in that ballpark, like they're going to know. But I think like for fans, it doesn't look great, right? It's like, oh, you're calling up this guy when he can't even pitch. Like remember Cueto last year? Yeah. Like Cueto looked awful in Charlotte. He did. So, so I thought when he came up, like, I was like, oh boy, like this is going to, and then he was fine. He was totally fine and way better than I think any of us anticipated. I just like that place is crazy. The ball fly. And it's, you know, it's, it's the same for hitters where, you know, like sometimes you, you think a guy might be a little bit better than they are because of like the offensive prowess of that league too. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question originally, I think Sean Burke pitches in the big leagues this year. Um, How good is he? I think is the question. I mean, Davis Martin was a revelation last year, um, but Burke, like being in the majors two years after being a third round pick, I think would be a win regardless of how good he is. Yeah. Again, he's incredibly important because after Sean Burke, I just feel like James, there's a drop off. Like it's not drop off in talent. It's drop off in preparation as in the guys behind Sean Burke are another season behind where Burke is to help the White Sox. Like that's how shallow the depth is right now. You got Davis Martin, you got Sean Burke that could help contribute to make starts in 2023. Then I don't know who else you got to make starts. Right. Because even if pallet like is healthy and ready to go, it's going to be a while. Like Jonathan cannon can move quick, but like, I don't think he's moving that quick. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a little bit crazy. And then even if like, so I heard Chris Getz on with Connor McKnight on ESPN 1000. And, you know, they talked about how they were really happy with Matthew Thompson's progress. And, look, he did have a lot of good starts last year towards the end. But, I mean, even Matthew Thompson, I think, if everything goes right, is 2024. Like, we followed Jared Kelly forever. Like, he was a little bit better. Like, even if he figures it out, like, it's not in 2023. So you're right. Like, there's there's just not this immediate pitching depth. Like, they're going to have to get through next year. And then last year's draft, I think, did help with all the college arms, but that's a 2024-2025 thing, not so much next year. Yeah, it's desperately needed. Good news for Kannapolis and Winston-Salem, you got enough starting pitchers to fill out rosters. (laughs) Not so much in Charlotte uh, going into this upcoming season. It's like... uh, playing some baseball games. You just completely ignore triple a, but you get all these draft prospects this one year and you're flooded with talent in the, the low a high a rosters. And that's where the white Sox rosters currently are right now. As far as farm development, you know, well-stocked rosters at Kannapolis, Winston-Salem and Birmingham. They're a little bit shorthanded right now. in triple yeah, think, I think those pitching staffs are going to look pretty good when those get released. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, those are going to be at least like fun to, look at like oh these five are in Winston and I think like maybe Canny and Winston specifically depending on how aggressive they get like those might be fun rotation they could be it's just it's so odd because maybe other teams are like this other franchises at some point James we may need to explain to White Sox fans 
to completely ignore the Charlotte Knights. Because when it comes to the future as far as the development, you, we need to focus more on what's going on in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, and Birmingham. Because with Charlotte, not only is it with the roster construction, how shorthanded they are, as you mentioned, the park factors, it is the easiest ballpark to hit in AAA out of all the leagues. And the numbers at home sometimes just paint a completely different picture of guys whether it's hitters or pitchers, that it's really hard to believe on what's going on in Charlotte. Almost need to completely ignore the home splits and just focus on away splits. But it, it, it's just odd to me. Is it that is it odd to you that we're we're gonna have to be explaining to folks that don't pay attention to AAA, pay attention instead what's going on in Birmingham, Winston Salem, Canapolis. Yeah, and it used to be like that kind of with Birmingham until some of these recent guys like really started to hit there. Like it used to be like Birmingham, like Sox offensive prospects would go to die and they would just be like mm-hmm. done and like that's it. And like hopefully they get to Charlotte and rebound. You know, it kind of brings me back to like you asked me about Jose Rodriguez and I brought up Cespedes, but it's like these guys get to double A in the White Sox system. Like if they're having success in home games at Regents Field. Well, like, I just assume that they're going to go to Charlotte and, like, rake then. So then, like, what are you looking at, right? Like, then does that get you the promotion and then you have some false sense of, like, how good the guy really is? Or, like, do you just, like, skip over Charlotte altogether? I think those questions are interesting as far as, like, Jose Rodriguez. Because I have no reason to believe that, like, if Jose Rodriguez is playing home games in Charlotte, he's not going to be really good there, right? So, So then, like, what... Like, do we think he's better than he actually is because he's there? Like, I don't know. That's where, like, Gilbert Sanchez, he went to Charlotte and got worse, which doesn't usually happen. So that that was that was something that was uh, just a little bit of a red flag for me. Yeah, it's the same thing with Blake Rutherford and Mike Rodolfo. Like, yeah, they had highlights from time to time, but they didn't put up great numbers, especially hitting at Charlotte. Oscar Colas crushed in Birmingham, and he crushed in Charlotte. But what gives me hope that, yeah, he could be the starting outfielder for the White Sox on opening day 2023 is how well he hit in Birmingham. Like, that sells me more than his numbers in Charlotte. It's Absolutely, yeah. yeah it's, it's just weird, though. It's when you, when you think of progression of baseball, low A, high A, double A, triple A, how they do in triple A should matter more than double A, but that's actually not the case for the White Sox, and it's probably not the case for a lot of baseball franchises across Major League Baseball. No, it's not. And and it's that league, too. Like, the International League, like, the pitchers are guys that, you know, it's it's the White Sox aren't the only team throwing guys like Mike Wright every night, you know? Like, so so some of it is, like, it's it's just easier to hit in that league. Um, so, so it is skewed a little bit. And luckily, I mean, it's going to be a little different this year because I do think there will be some actual prospects there. And look, like Gavin Sheets has been there and Berger and guys like that. But I think guys that we're interested in seeing going forward will be in Charlotte. It's been a Chris Getz staple to kind of have your Mark Paytons of the world and guys like that in Charlotte, like in case there's an injury or a COVID flare-up or anything like that. Like you could just go down there and grab a guy like Sebi Zavala, somebody like that. But, you know, as the you know, some of these guys filter through from Winston-Salem and Birmingham, you're going to have more true prospects in Charlotte. So then that that's going to be part of us covering it is the ballpark factors. Like not even just Charlotte, like some of the other parks like in that uh, division. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Future Sox podcast. Before we sign off though, it'll be Thanksgiving in a couple of days. 
James, what do you and the family got planned? Yeah, so we're staying home this year for things. I mean, we're going over um, to, to family, to the in-laws. But, you know, normally, so my wife has family in Pittsburgh. So we either go to Pittsburgh for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Last year, we were supposed to go for Thanksgiving. Um, but, you know, some listeners of this podcast know that I was at the state championship game of Lockport football last year, so we didn't do it. So I thought we'd go back this year, but we're going for Christmas. So I'll be home eating and watching football, you know, down uh, near my house in the southwest suburbs. Nice. Yeah, I'm heading to the region. My fiance's right. mom volunteered uh, to host Thanksgiving. Bless her heart. I. It's just way too much work. I, have you ever? Have you ever no. hosted? Okay. Yeah. Don't. Don't do it. We 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 moved into our house in 2017 and hosted the first. We're like, let's host everything, and then that was the last time we ever did it. So. <laughs> if we hosted, I wonder if we would just cater. The entire yeah. meal, not yeah. even, not, not even make them make everything, but there's still people that want to volunteer and still want to do all the cooking, bless them and be very thankful for them. If you are those that are traveling and not cooking. And if you are those that are cooking and listening to this episode while you are preparing your Thanksgiving day meal, uh, thank you so much for listening and best of luck cooking everything. And thank you guys for listening to the Future Sox podcast all year. And we hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your families. You can follow Future Sox on Twitter at Future Sox. And of course, read the coverage on SoxMachine.com slash Future Sox. Subscribe to the Future Sox podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. And Sox Machine supporters get exclusive Future Sox content by signing up at Patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Future Socks Podcast is a production of Socks Machine and Future Socks and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and your home for all Chicago White Sox prospect news and analysis. Alongside James Fox, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.